Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 401 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. So thrilled that you are with me here today as we are talking to Tori Ann Martin about what does luck have to do with it? Anyway, thinking about how luck plays a part in rejection, it really, truly might not be you. And isn't that awesome? We also talk about writing your pitch first and a whole bunch of other good things. So stick around for that. That's coming up. And this is another episode coming to you from the past as I preload these episodes for December. So today I just want to talk a tiny little bit about another emotion, another feeling that can keep writers from the page. So let's talk about this just for a little bit, and then we'll jump into the awesome interview. Okay. So one of the top things that was mentioned in my writer survey was distraction or a lack of focus, distraction, keeping the writer from writing. And perhaps right now your heart is beating fast in your chest because this is you. You recognize this. Distraction steals your writing time. Lack of focus when you get to the page also steals your writing time. This can truly hamper writing motivation, writing momentum. We've probably all felt this. And I know that I have because I love shiny objects. I love um, things that make noise and look pretty and sparkle out of the corner of my eye. How do we how do we control that? How do we corral ourselves gently and kindly? We never want to be mean or vicious about any of this, but how do we get ourselves to the page and mitigate those distractions? The key word here is mitigate. The distractions are never going to go away. The distractions will always be around you. They can be small things like your phone pinging, which is actually kind of a big thing, or they can be bigger things like you are unable to focus on the book in front of you because you can't stop thinking about the book you really, really want to write, that that glorious, shiny object singing to you from the corner. So what I want you to do when you're thinking about distractions is make yourself a list. Everyone's distractions are going to look a little bit different from other people's, but mine are any kind of thing that can beep or boop on my computer or on my phone. I have all notifications turned off except um, for texts and or phone calls from like the four people that can always get through to me. And they, number one, they don't frequently, they never call. If they call, I'm answering. Uh, number two, they, they don't frequently text. And I also have that text tone turned almost all the way off. To be honest with you, I would have it turned all the way off, but I, on my particular Android phone that I have right now, I can't figure out how to turn off the text tone for people who are in your priority context. I've always been able to do that before, but I can't do that on this phone. So it drives me a little bit bananas. So I have it set to just sound like a drop of water and it's at the lowest volume. And when I have any kind of headphones at all, I can't hear it. I would be able to hear the emergency phone call. Um, But otherwise my phone is always on silent pretty much all the time and nothing pops up on my computer because as soon as it does, I am distracted. Even if it is only for a few seconds, you are now no longer in 
the zone of focus. Your brain has wandered away and it actually takes energy to bring it back. So we want to mitigate any kind of distractions. Make, oops, sorry, I did not mean to hit the microphone. Make your list. Check it twice. (laughs) It is that time of year. Um, What else distracts you? Do you get thirsty? Do you get hungry? Do you get snackish? Do people come in and want things from you? Do dogs walk by on the sidewalk and you look at them? Do dogs walk by and your dog looks at them and then barks? Make a list of those distractions and come up with a mitigation for every single one. We normally want to either remove the distraction or remove ourselves from the distraction. And everyone's ability to do this will vary depending on their life circumstances and everyone, how they need to do this will vary depending on what they have around them. But for me, and I've mentioned this on the show recently before, uh, it for this last month of NaNoWriMo, I just got into a really good group by <laughs> locking myself into the recliner. If I get super comfy in the recliner and I can't reach my phone, it's on the desk far, far away from me, it would In order for me to get comfy in the recliner, I have a pillow under one hip, a blanket under the other. I have a scarf behind my neck. I have two pillows on top of me, a quilt over my feet, and a uh, writing platform desk holder beanbag thing that holds my laptop. So once I get into that position, I'm not moving for a while. And then if I go into cold turkey writer, which I keep mentioning, there is a free version, but I bought the paid version because I like to be able to copy and paste in and out of it. Uh, If I go in there, once you put in the number of words that you are writing toward or the number of time that you will stay in there, you can't get out. Your computer can't do anything else, period, until either that time has run out or you have written the words. During November, I used it in time. Because honestly, my brain will always hack my way out of this, right? If I put in that I want to get a thousand words and suddenly I want to check my email, I really have to check my email. It's really an urgent emergency. I know that I could write a couple of long sentences and then copy and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste. I've got a thousand words and now I can break out of cold turkey writer. But if I put in an amount of time, I'm just going to have to sit in my recliner and do nothing or write. So I write. It's been awesome. So that basically removes from me all distractions. People don't come and bang on my office door. Um, In the recliner, I can't see if the dog is in the yard, can't look at her. I have my headphones on, the noise canceling one, so I can't hear any sound in the house. I've got my perfect music going. I love the lo-fi. And that keeps me distraction-free enough to really get words. So what does that look like to you? For a lot of people, it means you have to leave the house. Um, whether you go to your local library or to a cafe or just out in your car, where can you be distraction-free? I think there is this myth that people should be able to write through distraction or ignore it enough to continue writing, but that is not true. When we're distracted, It takes so much energy to come back. It is oftentimes easier to stop writing. And that's what we don't want you to do. In terms of the bigger mental things that can be distracting while we're writing, like the shiny object syndrome, which a bunch of people mentioned, how do I maintain focus on the project that I'm working on while I'm being seduced by this new shiny object that I've never written before. Therefore, I have not ruined yet. I have not broken it into a million pieces. It's perfect in my mind. Whereas the book I'm writing on, is absolutely not perfect. How do I 
deal with that. My friends, I have an answer for you. Allow yourself to play with that shiny object as a reward for doing your work that you have chosen to do for the day. Say your goal is to write 1,500 words a day for five days a week. Every single day that you write 1,500 words, allow yourself to play with that other idea as much as you want for as long as you want, as long as you've hit your goal for the day. You have a clear conscience. It's super fun. And also guess what? As soon as you do your work, the shiny object is not very shiny. I always allow myself this reward. And then when I'm done writing, I'm like, ah, now I'm really done writing. I don't feel like I'm thinking about another writing project. It is just my brain trying to hijack me away from the project I should be working on to something that I haven't broken yet. And as soon as I do my work for the day, my heart and my head are settled. I could go play with that new object, but I normally don't because now I'm just happy that I've done my work. So so try that one. We want to list all of our distractions. And then for each point that you list, I want you to think of a mitigation. And our main goal is to collect all of that mitigation into one big ball of quiet or loud, if that's what you need, um, for yourself to get your writing done. It is not something you should try to get over or get through. It is something that keeps writers, most writers, from writing when they want to write. So how will you fix that for yourself? It is not, this is not a, um, a simple thought experiment. This is a get out your pen, get out a piece of paper and write these things down and try to fix it everyone's fix will look different. Mine is a recliner and cold turkey writer. What is yours? I would truly love to know what yours is. Um, so please come find me on the internet, wherever I can be found, which is mostly uh, at my email, which is rachel at rachelheron.com or, nope, that's the best place. That's the place, best place in December to find me. Uh, I would love to know about it or respond back to any of my writer's emails, any of those things. Okay. And just a gentle, quick reminder that 90 days to done and 90 day revision, my masterclasses that help writers write their books, finish them, and then revise them, depending on which class you are in, are open right now. Well, I'm not actually sure if they're open right now, because again, this is recorded early. Uh, but if you go to rachelheron.com slash 90 day revision or rachelheron.com slash 90 days to done, or just go to rachelheron.com and poke buttons until you find the right place, it will tell you if the class still has seats available. And here is a little testimonial. Do think about joining. I would love to have you. Let's jump into the interview now that we have talked about that. Um, Tori Ann Martin lives in New England where she collects pen names, tattoos, and hoodies in shades of gray and black. <laughs> Previously, she collected degrees, including a doctorate in psychology where she studied interpersonal power, consent, and sexual assault. She much prefers writing romance. If you can't find her online, it's because she's lost in the woods. This Spells Disaster is her debut release. Please enjoy this delightful interview with Tori and Martin, and please get some of your own writing done. Lock yourself into whatever you need to lock yourself into to get some done, and then come tell me about it. Happy writing, my friends. Lori Wostel here, writing as Laura D. Rowland. I came to the 90-day revision class by Rachel Heron, almost desperate to find a way to bring my writing and my novels to a higher quality. The class consisted of writers of all ages, all levels of expertise and experience, and writers of all writing genres. 
Rachel provided effective tools and doable practices. Everyone was able to apply the tools and practices in the weeks between class to polish and tighten their work. Each writer reported immediate improvement. I had a personal epiphany, realizing that we writers take an idea or an incident that exists only in our brains, between our ears, and in our imaginations, and then through writing, bring it into reality. To be real, something has to have time and mass. That means have physical substance. We create something out of nothing that would not otherwise exist in the world. The class exceeded my expectations and provided a fast lane to finished and well done. I was left satisfied and accomplished and in action in my life as a writer. Thank you, Rachel. Well, I could not be more pleased to welcome you to this show. Would you please share your name and your pronouns with us? Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Torian Martin and my pronouns are she, her. Thank you. I love the way you just said Martin. Martin, or where are you from? Because I have a friend uh, from Vermont my who says always that. always seems to give me away. So I'm originally from Philadelphia, but I've lived in New Hampshire for a couple decades now. I just love that accent. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. All right. We were talking just before I hit uh, record that you are writing in a genre that I'm going to be going into. So it's really exciting to talk to you about this, your foray into this genre under this name. So um, when did the book come out? Was it last month? Uh, it's September, September 12th. Okay, great. And how has it been having it out there? It's been fun. You know, it's, it's, it's always exciting and busy and, you know, hectic, but you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. What made you want to go into this genre? Um, so I've been writing romance, but fantasy was always my first love. And so when witchy romance started becoming a thing, I was very excited, like, you know, please let me jump in and join this, get on this bandwagon. And fortunately, yeah. my editor um, was excited about that, too. So. Oh, awesome. So tell us about your writing process. When and where and how? How do you get it all done? What's what is your writing process look like? Yeah, so I have a day job, uh, which keeps me very, very busy full time. So I have to do my writing around that. Um, so mostly I'm I'm an evening writer. I try to squeeze out like a couple hours on the weeknights. Um, when I'm on deadline, I can sometimes try to fit in a little bit on the weekend, but that can be a little challenging. And um, yeah, I'd say the other <clears throat> excuse me, big thing about my writing process is I am very distractible. So I am always very envious of those people who can just go out to coffee shops and sit there and write. It looks so fun and peaceful and great to have that coffee right there, but I can't do that. <laughs> so what does the environment that is most conducive to your writing look like? I have an office and that's pretty much it. I shut my door. Maybe I light a, you know, a candle to get in the mm -hmm. headspace and that's pretty much it. I just go. And being a distractible person, what are some of the processes that you put in place to kind of help you stay on the page for as long as possible? I really don't have any, to be honest. Um, it's really um, just when I get into it, I will get into it and I kind of will zone out. It's more of that trying to get myself to that point, especially because, you know, writing in the evening, 
I'm tired. And by the time I can write, it's like, oh, I want to do anything but write, you know, all yeah. day long. Yeah. I'm excited then. <laughs> that, that to me sounds so, so difficult. I was always the kind where um, when I, when I still had the day job, I would literally get up at 3.30 or four in the morning to write before I went to these 12 hour shifts because I couldn't imagine writing at night after I'd already used all of my brain cells. Do you ever like, and this is absolute curiosity because I don't know, I've never been able to make it work. So do you ever sit down and think, oh no, I'm spent, but then you like hook in to the writing and then you get it done? How does, what does that feel like? Um, it always feels kind of like a miracle <laughs> when it happens, but it, I mean, at this point, at this, I've been doing this for a few years. So like, I know like most of the time I'll get there and I will get it done. Um, but I really live for those days when it's like, I can take a vacation day today and I'm going to, cause um, I'm a much more of a morning person yeah. and dedicate those morning hours to writing. That's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Rewards. <laughs> the reward to write on the vacation day. I love it. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Uh, I think about this one. I say it's either plot or description, but probably I'll go with plot. Like, you know, I know I have to get my characters from A to B, and then how do I actually get them to B is, you know, and then to C. So <laughs> I am a big outliner. Um, like if I don't have an outline, if I don't have a roadmap, my characters would just be sitting there talking to each other in white rooms. That's where the description part comes in and just not doing anything. So <laughs> I am, I'm basically the exact same person as you. Um, I, I don't, I, I'm all speaking of envy. I'm always so envious of the people who say that they can just see the movie in their mind and then they just describe it. I, I, I don't think I have a, I think it's called aphantasia where you can't, you don't have a mind's eye at all. Because if you tell me to picture an apple, I can picture a very rudimentary apple, but mostly I don't have that mind's eye. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I am pretty good. Like I can make the visuals happen, but like it's not a natural process when I'm yeah. writing. Like I actually have to stop and think about, okay, what does this look like? And so I'll frequently like, um, be like a second pass basically i'll do yeah, like a whole second pass just to layer in that description i have a whole pass that i just layer in description and um setting description and character description because i just don't bother with it the first few times yeah. through <laughs> my characters are the worst in the description i don't i can't ever actually picture them i can picture other things eventually but not my characters yes, me too or i can picture some of the side characters but the main characters I just can't see them. Yes. And I feel that way about people I love too. Like, you know, after my mom died, I can't, I can't see her in my face, but I can see, you know, Luke on the Gilmore girls, not a problem, but yeah. So I wonder if that has something to do with the main characters. Cause I love them so much. I just can't see them. Maybe, maybe. Ah, I wonder. Something to think about. What is your biggest um, joy when it comes to writing? So that is, that is the characters. It's getting into their head, sort of discovering, you know, who these imaginary people are, watching them kind of come to life as I'm writing. Because even with an outline, like, you don't, oh, really speaking for myself, you don't really know how it's all going to play out until you actually start writing. Um, so that's the part I really enjoy the most. And then it's so fun, like, when people tell you, oh, I related so well to this character. And it's like, Yes, to the spigment in my imagination. 
Isn't that wild? When we start to really think about it, you're like, I made this person up and they're mad at you because they did something and you're like, it's, it's all fake. <laughs> it yeah. didn't, it didn't happen. What is, um, what's a, a tool that you use to build characters? Do they kind of come to you while you're writing or do you plan them out? Um, I sort of just mostly plan them out in my head initially, and then they sort of develop as I'm writing. So I don't use any like specific tools. I just sort of ruminate on things and daydream an awful lot at those beginning stages. Oh, that's nice. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us? Sure. Uh, my favorite tip is one that it took me a little while to learn, but that is um, before I actually start drafting anything, I basically write a pitch or like a query-like summary for the book that I'm doing. Um, Cause what I've learned is that if I can't sort of distill the premise of this book into, you know, about 250 words that are compelling and that makes sense to someone else, then there's probably a problem with what I'm trying to write. So that mm. was my epiphany is I needed to learn how to do that. That is so good. I like that you say it's like the query, like pitch. And that number is exactly the number I go for whenever I'm looking at query letters. I, I always like to recommend that 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 middle paragraph is 250 or less or fewer words. And that's a perfect amount that you should be able to tell your whole book. And so often we can't because we really don't know the book yet. Right, right. Or there's like a problem in that the book is not actually set up as a proper kind of story. Like it's there, but it's not finished. Yes. And I have fooled myself before in the past. Like I'll tell myself the story. And I'm like, oh no, that'll work. Sure. And then when I get there, it doesn't. And yeah. <laughs> so you have to be able to write it and then also critique it and believe in it. <laughs> don't, don't do what I do. Yes, definitely. <laughs> what is the kindest thing that anyone's ever done for you in your career? I feel like that's a really hard one because at this point there's, I've, you know, so many interactions with other writers or publishing professionals so I'm going to kind of keep this kind of vague because I feel like it was um, it's probably the first person who ever told me like way, way back in the day when I was first querying agents is that sometimes a book doesn't find a home, not because the book is bad or because you're not good enough, but there's a lot of other factors in the play. And they all basically boil down to luck, whether it's timing, you know, whatever it's, mm-hmm. it's luck. And all that beginning writing advice I had, been reading to that point was just like oh well just means you're not there yet or you didn't write a good enough book and so it's so easy to just berate myself and say maybe I can't actually do this so to have someone come along finally and say well might not be you (laughs) I love that that is so important and I think we do not talk about that what a kind thing for that person to tell you and it's also hard to believe, but like I, kn- I know for a fact that my first book sold because it was a knitting romance. And this was right after mm-hmm. Friday Night Knitting had come out and every publisher was looking for Knitlet. And it didn't have anything to do. I mean, my book was fine and it needed a lot of revision, but it only got noticed because I had the luck of being in the right place at the right time. That's it. That's all. And if I tried to sell it 10 years later or 10 years before, nothing. It wouldn't have happened. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's, there's ethic or I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, there's, there's 
a point to telling people like, you know, to keep working on your craft, because most people's first books are not not going to be there. But at the same time, I think a lot of people try to downplay the fact that timing and, you know, everything else that goes into it has a role. And so it did take me a while to internalize that. But at the same time, it was also like, okay, this means I can keep going. Yeah, it's so important. And thank you for saying it. It's about timing. It's about the market. It is about politics. It's about what's on the news. It's about, oh, those impossible things to know. Like if you wrote a, you know, queer fae versus elf story, but the agent you love the best just took on a queer fae versus elf story, she can't take two because then she you know, you should be competing with her authors to sell a book like, and we will never know those things. So. Yeah. I went on sub in 2016 with the book um, that my current agent took me on for right November, 2016, before that big contentious election. And it had a political plot line. Every pass came back saying, please, I can't handle politics right now. Send me something else. Literally every single one. Oh my God. Thus proving the point we just don't know we just don't know oh that's awesome thank you for that what is the kindest thing that you've ever done for yourself as a writer I was probably to give myself permission to just keep going um you know especially when you're hit the sort of middle of the book and you're like oh I don't know if this is working everything I'm writing feels like crap and just be able to say you can fix it in edits leave it be because I feel like 90% of the time when I go back and I finally finish, it's not as bad as I thought it was. And if I had just given up and thought, Oh, this is a hopeless mess. I would never get to the end. Yeah. I always believe myself though. When I say it's a hopeless mess, like, no, this is the, this is the time (laughs) I cannot fix this. Yeah. That is truly a kindness to ignore ourselves when we say those things and just keep showing up. Gorgeous. That editor brain. (laughs) So I wish there was a a switch. (laughs) What is the best book that you have loved recently and why did you love it? I have read, I have to say, a lot of very, very good books recently. I'm kind of in the opposite of a reading slump. So trying to pick one is a challenge. But um, I will go with um, A Demon's Guide to Wooing a Witch by Sarah Hawley, which comes out at the end of November. She's great. Yes. It's such a fun series. They're funny. They're romantic. I love her world building. So that will be my choice. Is this the second one in the series? This is the second one in the series. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. And can you please now tell us about this spell's disaster? So uh, this spell's disaster uh, came out in September and it is a queer witchy romance. Um, about a witch who offers to fake date her crush. Um, and when her crush starts to fall for her, is afraid that it's because she accidentally gave her a love potion. So <laughs> it's fake dating. It's possible love potions. There's lots of pinings. It's set at a festival mostly. Um, yeah, I it's, think it's fun. <laughs> it's so high concept. I just, I love that. And also the title is so great. This spells disaster. Like that is so <laughs> clever. Who can, did you come up with that? Or was that the marketing team? I did come up with that. I'm very Good proud of that. Good job. 
we know that most of the titles we ever come up with do not make it onto the book. No, no, it's true. That's so Titles great. are hard. They're the worst. <laughs> That's lovely. Where can we find you out there on the internet? I'm mostly on Instagram at this point, although I'm in kind of a bit of a social media lull at the moment coming off with the book release. But um, I'm on Instagram as T.A. Martin Author, and I also have a newsletter, which is a little sporadic, but I do have that. <laughs> and where can they find that newsletter? Uh, that's on my website at toriannmartin.com. Perfect. And that's Anne with an E. Thank you so much, Torianne. It was such a delight to talk to you. I appreciate you being here today and best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was fun to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.